Hey, this is Rob Harder with Making Your World Better, a nonprofit leadership show where real stories from real people who are coming up with real solutions to solve society's biggest challenges. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? How do people fundraise in an economy that is constantly in flux? How do you relate to board members in a way that inspires them to make a difference? What are the best practices that separate effective nonprofits from others? It is my hope that through these episodes, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear real stories from real leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy this series as together we hear how they're making their world better. the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, Making Your World Better. What would you do if you heard your father had a heart attack and he happens to live in a foreign country far away and you are somewhat helpless to do anything about it? Well, that's exactly the scenario of our guest today on our show. Um, her father had a heart attack, was living in Ghana at the time, and she had to figure out how to provide healthcare for him all the way from New York City. Through that journey, it actually prompted her and launched her into an experience of what the healthcare system was all about in Ghana. And she realized it's nothing like the healthcare system in the United States. So it prompted her to start a nonprofit to actually bring primary healthcare directly to African communities, specifically in Ghana, uh, particularly to those who are low income. And so today's guest, you're going to really enjoy hearing her story of how it started from a personal need out of taking care of her father into launching a global outreach to help hundreds and thousands of people in the same situation. Enjoy today's show. And Nana, it's really good to have you on the show. Thanks for calling in from New York today. Thank you so much for having me, Rob. This is a pleasure. You bet. And uh, tell us about your story a bit and what prompted you to get in the nonprofit sector in the first place and then what led you to start and lead African Health Now? Well, to be honest, I actually had no initial interest in the nonprofit space. I had spent many of my career as a bookings editor and producing photo shoots for magazines. And one day my father uh, got sick while I was at a photo shoot and I got a call that most uh, diasporians kind of dread. And it was a call that he had had a heart attack in a taxi. And the taxi cab driver thankfully picked him up from the hospital where he had gone that morning for some aches and had uh, just dialed redial on his good old flip phone. And I, I was the last number my dad had called. And so I, the driver talked to me and told me, you know, I picked up your father and he's been complaining of chest pains and I'm gonna bring him back to the hospital. And, the, you know, the driver was more concerned about, like, well, can I, who's going to pay me and all this stuff? And I was like, no, 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 you can't leave him there. I, like, what are you going to do? I, and, you know, you start asking all these questions and no one has answers. But luckily for me, a friend of mine had just landed in Accra and sent me a message, a text message, and was saying, you know, I'm looking for a good place to eat. Where should I go? And I said, hey, can you actually just go to the hospital instead? You know, my dad, had, my dad seems to be sick and I don't have any answers. And um, my friend, who I, to this day I'm still forever thankful for, was able to go to the hospital, locate my father, and became the advocate, became my dad's voice. And that was the first time that I ever thought about the healthcare system in Ghana, um, or just thought about the healthcare system as a whole, because I'd been raised in, in America and, you know, had access to appropriate primary healthcare, and I just assumed in a naive space that everyone had the same access to that same type of health care. And so it was a jarring experience to learn that we didn't. Um, and so that kind of prompted the the discussion about health care. And 
I just got something came over me and I said I wanted to do something for the community because it, it seemed the community was who really helped my father get better. And so I decided to gather a bunch of friends together one Christmas and said, you guys give me one day and I want to produce this health fair. And I know everyone thinks I don't know anything about health and medicine. You're right. But I do know that as Americans, we get inundated with information on a daily basis. So we know the signs of a stroke. We know to take aspirin to a Tylenol a blood thinner. We know all these things. We know how to give ourselves self-breast examinations. But that information, if we share it, you'll be surprised how many people don't have that. And so we did our first health fair. I just organized and did what I knew how to do, which was produce. And 21 volunteers, 350 residents of of the Pocasa area later, and African Health Now was started. And you know, it's always interesting how people get started with their nonprofits. And uh, oftentimes, it's a personal connection. And the fact that your father's health issue prompted you is pretty inspirational. And so then let's go into your organization's mission. You know, the mission, according to your website, is to promote and to provide information and accessibility to sustainable primary health care to women, children, and families living across sub-Saharan Africa. And you do this primarily, it sounds like, by transforming local spaces into medical clinics, bringing primary health care directly to African communities who need it. So tell us about your strategy a little bit more. It seems like you bring medical care specifically to people rather than just having them wait to come to the hospital, for example, maybe like in your father's case. How does this work? So, yeah, so we essentially, it's exactly that, Rob, in the sense that we know that most people will not leave their daily jobs or their daily tasks to go and see a doctor. And we also know that most people um, can't afford to see the doctor or they, when you get to a clinic, a, a local government clinic, you get there on a Monday and maybe you didn't know, but the doctor doesn't actually show up until Wednesday. So is it the expectation that after I've paid my money to get here, that I have to pay money to go back home and pay money to come back again? And then I may not see the doctor because everyone's coming back on Wednesday. So we're queuing up in a line. You know, we've seen scenarios where people have sat in line at the hospital waiting to see a doctor. And so we realized that if we wanted to really provide and be impactful, that we would have to meet people where they are. And I think that's also the way in which we service people. We don't talk to people in a way and says that, you know, well, why didn't you come to the doctor? I already know why you didn't come to the doctor, and I don't need to ask you that. I need to just say, I am a doctor. I've brought doctors here, and this is what we can do for you. You need your, you know, let's get your teeth cleaned. Oh, it looks like you have a cavity. Let's extract your tooth here while we can. You know what? It looks like you have high blood pressure. Have you had high blood pressure? Did you know you had high blood pressure? Yes. I, you know, a lot of people are like, yes, I knew I was hypertensive, but I can't afford the medication. Or I knew I was diabetic, but I don't have the machine or the test strips to continue to check myself every day like you're supposed to. So I'm here now, and now I'm here to give you a solution. I'll be a temporary, but at least give you something so you can feel like, you can advocate for yourself and that you have some, you can take some action into your own life. Thank you for sharing that. And, and you know, one of your special projects I noticed on your website is your WASH initiative. That's an acronym for W-A-S-H, which stands for Water and Sanitation Hygiene. It's a brand new initiative, it sounds like, and you've launched it in response to some floods a couple of years ago in Ghana. And talk about this work. How does it differ from what your normal work was up to that point, And what are you seeking to do with the WASH initiative? Well, you know, that was completely different, and that also came out of the need. 2015, there was a huge uh, rainfall, and uh, we had floods. And because of the rain, 
there was a random gas explosion, and the gas explosion completely created a bigger problem than just the flooding. And it was in an area, and it became just a call of action, and we realized that, you know what, now this community, which was the Medina um, Alaji community in Accra, were, which they live essentially on a gutter stream. And because now the gutter had overflown, they were like living in waste. And as a Ghanaian, I just didn't know if that, I just didn't think, it's like it was outside of the scope of work that we did, but at the same time, it was not outside of the scope of the work that we could do. And so it was, we just galvanized again. And again, it's, it's always about community. It's really about, okay, guys, what do we need to do and how can we do it? So in that instance, we went into the community and provided new mattresses. We provided free drinking water um, to over, I want to say it was over 200 people, that 200 families that came to get free drinking water. And we did that by providing sachets, uh, which is a, a local uh, kind of like instead of a water bottle, we have water sachets. And so we just handed out bags and bags of water sachets to families and went to families who needed mattresses and needed, you know, new sheets and things of that nature and soap and shampoo and things, just as laundry detergent, just basic necessities to give to people so that people could feel human again. Well, and I really appreciate your response to two different things. Obviously, your own father's issue, and then that launched into seeing other needs and throughout Ghana, in particular the capital city there sounds like uh, way to go to respond and do something not just say oh that's terrible but you actually said let's roll up our sleeves and let's continue to impact more people's lives um, so tell us a little bit about this the families and the children you've been able to help through your work I'm sure you've helped just hundreds and hundreds of people uh, maybe a couple of stories about who you've reached and how it's made their life different oh sure we've had some really amazing I mean recently as even as of recently we went we did a trip in August we have a new initiative that we're working with a, a local clinic called Medina Polyclinic Kekili, and it's in the Medina area as well. And we started working on their maternity program and helping with the renovations of their maternity ward, but more importantly, helping uh, fund and support their pregnancy school initiative, which is almost like a Lamaze course, getting mothers to come in before labor and getting them the treatment they need and getting them to understand what is happening to their body and the importance of taking vitamins. And we went to Medina this August with six amazing women from the U.S., and we were there to witness the birth of the lovely baby, Emanuela, whose mother had been going through the program with us and was able to come to the hospital and give birth, and give birth in a way in which she was prepared. We provided sanitation, you know, sanitary pads and diapers and um, birthing cloth, and just kind of created a space for Emanuela's mom to give birth and to walk away feeling like she was prepared for, you know, this new life that she had created and that, that God had bestowed upon her. And so I think, you know, when we have stories like Emanuela, baby Emanuela being born, um, and it's just, it really makes the work that we do uh, worthwhile. Um, we have uh, Mrs. Atta, who, lovely woman, who has come to each of our health fairs, and she's been so amazing. And she started, she came actually, she missed the very first health fair that we did in Pocuase. And she came the day after. And I was able to, she came to my house actually after we did the health fair. She was, she was told the health fair was on a, on, on a particular day and she had missed it. And someone directed her to my house. And she came to my door and she was like, I hear there are doctors here. 
And I was like, no, they were here the day before. And you could see the defeat in that she had traveled to come and see these doctors. She knew that she was diabetic and was unable to check her her um, her levels because she couldn't afford the machine. And just being able to check her levels for her, being able to give her a machine, and subsequently thereafter I always send uh, testing strips and a new machine to her every few months. Um, she's become now part of my family, and she, you know, shows up to my house, and my parents check up on her. And so it's, it's, I know that it's, to someone it may seem like it's not a big deal, but I know how that affected Mrs. Atta's life. I know how being able to pay for um, Emanuela's mother to go to pregnancy school classes, which were free, but I incent- we incentivize the mothers. We make sure that they have transport to come. We make sure that there's food when they come there. We incentivize their husbands to come so that the process is no longer just this, it's a woman's thing. It's a family thing. Um, so, you know, people like Mrs. Atta and Emanuela's mother are, you know, the reason why we do the things that we do. Well, thank you so much for sharing those stories. I know it's so inspiring to hear them, and I'm sure you're inspired every day as you get a chance to make a difference in these families and children's lives. Now, there are numerous nonprofits that have a primary focus on providing medical care to various African countries. What sets yours apart? I think what sets us apart is our hands-on approach, um, is that we're not just dropping off supplies and walking away. We how we started in in 2007 with our first health fair and just bringing doctors from the U.S. We realized at that onset that you know what this is a disconnect because patients want to be able to go back to someone with a familiar face, and so we what we started to do then is that we we recruited a lot of volunteers from the medical profession who are based in Ghana, and we always try to recruit doctors who are based in the areas that we use, so that when someone goes back to Medina Polyclinic, they can see a doctor that they saw at the health fair or that they, they know and that they have a point of reference. And so I think for us, it's not just about drop off and go. It's really about hands-on. We can, we continuously are in communication with all of our volunteers, and that's how we are kept abreast. When the Ebola outbreak happened in various countries, we were able to know firsthand that, you know, there weren't any outbreaks in Ghana and that what we would, what we should be talking about. Um, so I think that's what sets us apart is that we are we're very community development based and in that we are very hands on in making sure that the work that we're doing is actually getting done. You know, it's interesting you say that. Um, tell us a little bit more about just the size of your organization. Sounds like you have a lot of nonprofit uh, volunteers on the ground there in Ghana. Uh, talk about the scope of your organization. Yeah, so we do have a we have a great volunteer base of about fifty volunteers that you know, have supported us and continue to come and give of their time every uh, every health fair, every initiative that we do. Um, but in our U.S. office, we are a very small team. It is um, a team of three, and we have a very robust board that is very supportive as well, a working board, we like to call them. Um, and so we, we, are, we are grassroots. We are definitely in that scope, uh, grassroots. <laughs> I understand. You know, the, everyone of our listeners that are into nonprofits understand the grassroots, what that means and uh, what that requires on your end on the leadership side. Okay, so as we go on to, um, you know, your nonprofit obviously is focused primarily on serving those in Ghana, so it's outside the United States, rather than, say, a locally uh, run and organized nonprofit that's, say, in New York, where you live. Um, as you've led and grown this nonprofit, what have you found to be the biggest barriers for globally focused nonprofits? Again, like your own, where you're in a different country, so you have to inspire people uh, to give to something that won't impact them locally, per se, 
And then you have the added challenge of getting volunteers and perhaps staff that's overseas. And how do you oversee and manage that in a sustainable way? You know, I think the thing that um, that is the key is accountability. And I think that's what we uh, always try to focus on because, it, to your point, it is hard to get people to donate to something that doesn't affect them. But I think with us, we've, we've been learning about the, the, the craft of storytelling and making sure that people connect. Um, we've done a really great job with connecting with a lot of African diasporians who are always looking to find ways to give back, but they don't know how. And so creating an avenue for them to both volunteer in that give back. So every give back is not necessarily a monetary thing, but it's really the first act of bring you to Ghana. You've not gone home in a while. Now is the time to go, go home, or maybe you've been going home and you've not done anything and you want to find something to do that speaks to you. And then giving them an opportunity to volunteer at our health fairs. And for, for the most part, all it takes is one health fair for someone to come and volunteer for them to be hooked and realize, okay, I wouldn't want to give birth in this room. I wouldn't want to go to this space and, 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 and get medical care. And so I know that I now want to be able to create a better structure and a space for, you know, my fellow Africans. Um, and I think also just being able to, it's a human story. I mean, healthcare is a basic human right that we all understand and all want. And so I think that for us has been what's the, the changing factor that allows people to support us. Um, but the, the difficulties and the challenges, again, is also accountability. Is because we are here, we really do rely heavily on our program manager who is in Ghana and our board, uh, one of our board members is also based in Ghana, to really make sure that what we say we're doing, we can do and that we do, in fact, um, a- accomplish. Well, and from what you've discovered, do you believe that fundraising is fundamentally changing for nonprofits today? When you think about your fundraising efforts, are things changing even since you've started this organization until, say, the last five to ten years? How's it changed in your mind? Um, yeah, I think fundraising is changing. I think the way people want to um, people want to be a lot more hands on. If you look at you know various organizations, people want to feel like they have. Um, that they have like actual autonomy inside of the process and that they're part of the process. So no one just wants to give a dollar and walk away or give, you know, $20 and walk away. They want to know what that money does. And they also want to know that if they wanted to go and see that act in action, that they could see that in action. And so I think fundraising is changing in that no one is just, no one's blindly just writing checks anymore. People really want to know that the money that they do, donate is extremely impactful in the in whatever programming that they they support. And then more broadly speaking, you know, you've been a supporter and active member and leader of a nonprofit organization. Um, what in your opinion is the most important role a nonprofit serves in both our local communities and our global communities? Uh, engagement. I think a nonprofit's role is to understand that uh, we will not be able to solve any one problem ourselves single-handedly. And so partnership and engagement with other nonprofits and with government officials is a key piece. You know, for the work we do in Ghana, I, I can't solve the healthcare problem in Ghana by myself. That's just not, it, 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 it's, you know, it's lofty in a thought and I think it's cool, but it's not realistic. Um, but what I can do is partner with other nonprofit organizations who are doing work in the same space or who are doing work, you know, at different, in different avenues of the same space, of the same healthcare space. 
and work with them, and then we can solve a problem together. I can, we partner with the government, and that's why we support local government clinics, because we know that it's also the government can't solve all of the problems of the healthcare structure by themselves. And so understanding that engagement and partnership is a key piece in terms of community building, and both globally and on a local front. Nana, it's amazing what you're doing. And, but my guess is this, there's a lot of people that hear these stories and hear all of needs in Accra and in Ghana as a country, and they're overwhelmed because there's so many needs. I mean, the question would be probably for most people is, what can just one person do? Like really, what difference can I make? So how do you overcome that barrier, if you will, that keeps people from getting involved at all because they just feel like, I can't really make a difference, I'm only one person. What would you say to that person? You know, I think for us, it's a, the, the thing that, and, and that, that comes up a lot as well, because people are like, well, how can I save everyone? And, you know, it's not about saving everyone. It's about saving someone. And so once you look at it in that perspective, every $100 that someone donates to African Health Now, $100 is the full cost of what the hospital pays, or what the hospital loses, rather, when a mother comes in and has not been, and, and requires treatment. It costs $100 to treat a woman for the entire nine months of her pregnancy, including her labor, including all of the vitamins that she will need. It costs $100. So if you can, pro- you can provide that $100 for one woman, you can walk away and feel like you've done something. I, I mean, I-, I would rather save one person than to have never saved anyone at all. And so I think that's the way we approach it. And I think that's the way people should look at all organizations is, yeah, maybe like a drop in the bucket, but you drop something in the bucket, and that's what's more important. You've given on of yourself. You know, there's a, you know, we say to whom much is given, much is expected. And so it's just what you, you know, you may not be able to save everyone, but if you can save someone, I think you can walk away feeling like you've done something. Well said. And, and as you think about your organization and the needs that you face, um, what do you would what would you like to accomplish say, in the next two years with your organization there in Ghana? Um, in Ghana, the next two years, I think for us is really to get break ground on the renovation of the maternity hospital and making sure that we can uh, fund and redesign the hospital so that it is much more uh, sustainable and impactful for the and in, in, in beneficial for the community. Uh, so that's kind of one of our big two-year goal plans, um, as well as to kind of uh, just infrastructure-wise as an organization, kind of be able to scale up a bit in terms of how we are doing our programming and, and how we're just, you know, utilizing the, the resources that we have. So that, that's kind of our big two-year. Those are some big two-year kickers for us. Sounds like good goals. And I love how what prompted you initially was to take care of your dad, and that launched you into a, uh, a now nonprofit that reaches hundreds, if not thousands of people, and you're making a real difference. Um, if people that are listening to this podcast want to find out more about you, about your organization, where would they go? What website or a Facebook page, or where would you send them so they can find out more about you? Oh, they can totally visit our website, which is africanhealthnow.org. Um, they can donate any amount, again, in, uh, every $100 donated can provide one woman with full maternity care. Um, so that is an amazing piece. Um, and also we have a wonderful gala coming up November 1st in New York. I know it's kind of far, but, you know, to listeners all over, if anyone is interested in attending the gala, they can also find out about the gala and how ways to support on our website, which is AfricanHealthNow.org. 
Well, my guest again today has been Nana Eisen Aikiwowo. She's the founder and president of African Health Now, and she's doing really, really important work um, in Ghana. And thank you so much for what you're doing, Nana. You really are making a difference in people's lives. And thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to be on the show. Thank you guys so much for having me. It's such a pleasure. I wanted to let you know that we are on iTunes. If you are wondering how to find out where we are, check us out on iTunes by typing Nonprofit Leadership Podcast or Rob Harder, and this podcast should show up. We also encourage you, when you go on iTunes, let us know what you think. Give us a review. Give us a rating. We would love to hear what you think of this podcast, and your feedback will help us expand this podcast to get it out to as many people as we can. You can also go online to listen to this podcast, either nonprofitleadershippodcast.org or my website, robharder.com. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep making your world better.